The word of God from Isaiah. For, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will, be, will do this. This is God's word, given for our good. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Daniel. Would you please remain standing a moment longer as we pray for the Spirit to come, illumine, and make stubborn hearts soft. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these ancient prophecies that we have seen fulfilled. And now, Lord, we ask that your spirit would be so kind and merciful to illumine and make the eyes of our hearts to see and to do. And where we are numb and where we might be resentful, where we might uh, be busy, we ask that you would just set our hearts on fire, give us a sweet and holy obsession even um, with your glory. Use all of that in, this, in these moments in the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. So it's like over four centuries ago now, Shakespeare, in his famous work, Romeo and Juliet, he penned these words. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would still smell just as sweet. Now, it was Juliet who says those words, and she's not disinterested in this conversation about a name. She's saying, yeah, you know, what really is a name? See, she's in love with a Montague, and the Montagues and the Capulets could never get along. And the whole plot of the play that you did in ninth grade, guys, is that there is indeed a whole lot in a name. There's power to heal, or in this case, the power to destroy. Power is unleashed in a name. You know, it's interesting, really extremely thoughtful medical entrepreneurs, they inv uh, invented this device. It's called the Embrace. And this device looks like a watch, and it's for people who suffer with epilepsy. And the idea is, if the epileptic were to have a seizure, the wrist device, called the Embrace, would detect it, and it would immediately contact friends and loved ones uh, in the area. And the reason this is so significant is because research has shown that the single most effective way to help an epileptic come to, right, to come out of a seizure, is by the caring voice of a loved one saying the person's name. Like a loving parent gently waking their child up by their name. It's not medicine. It's not water on the face. It's not shaking. It's being called by your name. There's something really powerful 
about names. And since this is true, what I want to do is I want to slow way down this Advent season, and I want to do a deep dive on the names that were given to Jesus in Isaiah 9. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this morning, we're going to take actually two, the first two. And if you don't know much about the book of Isaiah, let me just quickly get you up to speed and then we'll jump in. So Isaiah is one of the four major prophets. By calling it major, it doesn't mean that it's more important. It just means that it's longer. And the scope of Isaiah co covers the course of many decades in like the 700s B.C., and although it doesn't just speak to one event or one monarchy, there are some common themes that follow throughout. During Isaiah's time, Israel wasn't doing so well. There were internal and external problems. So internally, God's people had wholesale started to participate in idolatry and idol worship. And this is a very serious offense in the eyes of God there's a holiness and a holy jealousy in God's love because God is so invested in his people. Now, it's interesting because God's people, while they're doing this idol worship, they were still being religious. I mean, they were still doing their festivals. They're still going to temple. They were still going through the motions, but their hearts were divided. They were critically divided, and it was killing them. And so there are a lot of calls in the book of Isaiah, calls for them to humble themselves. Now, these problems were not internal only, but there were also external problems. The Assyrian Empire was on the rise, and the Assyrian Empire had incredible power, incredible wealth, and they found Israel and that piece of real estate very interesting, too interesting, you might say. And, and so the Assyrians were on their way. To Israel. And Israeli, Israel, humanly, does not have the resources to fight them off. And meanwhile, all while they are on their way, they're actually other smaller nations. They're constantly laying siege to, you know, the edges of their borders. And so Israel begins to consider making ill-advised alliances. And so would Israel make an alliance with this grotesque empire of Assyria in order to broker peace with them and get protection against these other nations that surround them? So there's a lot going on. You can see a lot of uncertainty, a lot of war, a lot of divided worship. And then what happens in the book of Isaiah, there is this mysterious figure who begins to surface now, in the imagination of God's people, there, there were always whispers of this person who is first introduced back all the way in Genesis chapter 3. This is a person who could stomp the head of evil. This person who would eternally stay on the throne of David. And this figure is prophesied of again in this dark hour in the life of Israel. And it turns out this figure would be a real child. Two chapters before ours in chapter seven, inexplicably, this child would be born of a virgin. And then in our passage in chapter nine, this child will get the most unlikely names. 
The child will bear names that only God should bear. And this child will do things that only God can do. And so, knowing that names are powerful, we're going to slow down. We're going to slow down this Advent to consider these names and what they might mean for modern Denverites. And so, I will take up the task of looking. We're going to take two names, just one next two following weeks. Um, and we're going to look at a Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. But let me begin with the second one, with Mighty God. Now, it only seems appropriate to begin Advent by talking about the greatest Christmas special ever publicly broadcasted. You know what it is? Charlie Brown's Christmas. Now, it's been playing, you know, for so many years, it's hard to think of Christmas without it, but it almost did not air in the 60s. And the reason is, is because there is a direct quote from the Gospel of Luke. I mean, straight Bible, public television. Now, you know the story. Charlie Brown is this kind of socially awkward kid with an eccentric dog. He is mercilessly picked on. And when he's at his wit's end, he asks the titanic question, will somebody tell me what Christmas is all about? And so there's this famous scene when Linus is in the school auditorium and he says, sure, Charlie Brown, I'll tell you. And he walks to the center stage, the house lights go down, the spotlight zooms in on him, and you can really feel the gravity of the moment because in the middle of him reading Luke chapter two, this is the only time that Linus puts down his blankie and he uses two hands to speak. You never see this without it. And using the King James Version, he recites Bible straight from Luke two. And he's speaking to the shepherds. He says, an angel of the Lord comes upon them and the glory of the Lord shone about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel of the Lord says, fear not for I bring you good tidings of great joy. Now in the, the original Greek, it could be translated, it could be translated of the shepherds um, that they feared a great fear. They feared a great fear. They were sore afraid. For unto you this day, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I am absolutely certain that we don't fully get what's happening in that passage. See, these shepherds were not exactly popular people in Jewish society. They were often exposed to unclean animals. And so, you know, they're kind of outsiders. They're pariahs of sorts. And so they, you know, shepherds developed really thick skins. They're, they're tough guys. And additionally, I mean, they fight off predators with really sharp teeth for a living. And these tough guys were sore afraid. They feared a great fear. They were brought to their knees in fear and worship at the announcement of a baby. What kind of baby could buckle the knees of a tough guy, a shepherd? It's a baby who is rightly called Mighty God. Now, that word God in the Hebrew, in the, when you see the word God in your Old Testament, usually it's Elohim. Now, that word Elohim structurally is plural, but we just translate Elohim as God, singular. And there's reasons for that. I'll explain it to you after the service. But sometimes, sometimes Elohim is in the singular form, in which case it would just be El, all right? So God is El. So in this passage, mighty God, it's El. And you've heard El before when 
Do y'all remember like that, that weird passage with Jacob when he has the dream about the ladders and there's angels climbing and descending on the ladder and he wakes up from that vision and he calls that place what? Bethel. Bethel. Beth means house and El means God. So house of God. Or in chapter seven, just two chapters before our passage, when the virgin conceives, it says that he shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. So Emmanuel, so with us, and El, God, God with us. And then, of course, you know, Jacob from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob again. Remember when he's wrestling with God all night and God overcomes Jacob and, and God changes Jacob's name. What does he change his name to? Israel. 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 Israel means to strive. El means God. So it's he who strives with God. El. So in our passage this morning, we see Almighty El, God. And so when the shepherds worship this baby, the Lord that the angels announce was born that day. This El. <laughs> and you have to ask, how can El need to be nursed? How can El need to wear diapers? How can the God whose presence that, that descends on Mount Sinai with thunder and lightning so frightening that it paralyzed the people who heard it, how can that God be a child? Well, that child is not only God, he is mighty God. And if you, um, again, back to the Hebraists, these language experts, they will tell you that the word mighty, sometimes that word mighty acts like an adjective, adjective and other times it acts like a noun, uh, like um, the mighty. That's like saying the mighty ones. You know, we, we, we do this like with the word old, for instance. We, sometimes we say, uh, that's an old book. So it's an, it's an adjective, it describes. But sometimes we could say, the old among us are the most wise in society. Uh, the, old, the old ones, right? These are, that, that would be the noun form of it. So these, there are figures in the Bible that are the mighty, right? The mighty ones. Angels are in the classification of the mighty. They, they seem to be in a class of their own. Angels are known to be able to wipe out human armies with ease. Uh, you also have heroic soldiers. For instance, King David, he had a lot of soldiers, of course, but there was this one particular group of men, they're kind of like his special forces, that are often referenced as David's mighty ones, or sometimes translated David's mighty men. These heroes as well are in a class of their own. So there are mighty angels and mighty warriors, but very rarely is there a place where mighty is ascribed to God. And it's always in the context of a battle, the mighty God. And you see that here in Isaiah 9. Now, to be sure, God is often depicted as the greatest warrior in all human history. I mean, he brought the entire Hebrew nation out of slavery, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, easily conquering the Egyptian army, which is like the most powerful army in the world at the time, covering them with water. So this name, Mighty God, is meant to connote that he is a conquering God. Now, this is mind-boggling. When you think about the baby... 
it's mind-boggling until you really sit in this. The, the, the shepherd's quaking will never make any sense until you sit in it. N.T. Wright, uh, the New Testament theologian, he says this. He says, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that fire has become flesh, that life itself became life and walked in our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world or it is a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. And most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to living in the shallow world in between. The child is a mighty God, a conquering God. The pillar of fire and smoke has become the incarnate son. Now for Israel, for the original audience, they needed to know that God would protect them from their enemies, from the Assyrian Empire. But they also needed to know that their God was a jealous God. He is jealous for the love of his people. He made them for himself, to marry him, to love him, to worship him, coming to have their hearts satisfied only in him. And I mention this because he, this conquering God, will even make war against the things that keep us from him. And this means everything for modern Christians. We most certainly want God's protection against all of his and our enemies, but he will also make war against those things that divide our heart. I mean, yes, listen, I want you to be comforted. He is coming to conquer all those things that wage war against our souls and, and that those things that crush us with guilt. We get all of the benefits of his mighty rule. And this is great, right? When, when there's darkness all around us, there's anguish in our city and in our world, forces that make many of our most important relationships so unbearable and uncertain, or, or the icy grips of an addiction that we cannot break, or the sins that hang around our necks, or, or the consequences of choices that we made a long time ago, but they cast a long shadow and we can't seem to get away from them. Like it, to that, Zephaniah 3 says it like this. He says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save, and he will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. Yes, Jesus, mighty God, will make war against all of those things. And we can have joy right now because Jesus isn't just this king who's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's just kind of wringing his hands, hoping, wondering if we're going to pull through. No, not at all. He is mighty God, and he can exert his powerful rule at his good pleasure. But also, he makes war on those things that keep us from giving ourselves fully to him. He makes war on all the ways that we try to keep God at bay, at an arm's distance. And for this reason, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter will say these words. He'll say, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We all, must, we all must come to grips with the reality that Jesus, mighty God, there is no refuge from him. There's only refuge 
in him. Now, there's another name for this child that we must explore. He's not only mighty God, but he's also wonderful counselor. I imagine there's a good number of people here in our church who know the name Jordan Peterson. Uh, Jordan Peterson is a Canadian psychologist, and really more than being an author, he's, he's kind of trying to carve out his place as a, a public intellectual of sorts. A few years ago, he wrote a self-help book called 12 Rules for Life. Uh, this book did incredibly well. There's a lot of people, especially young men, who go to him for wisdom. Uh, if you were to go to his YouTube channel, and I'm not talking about people who like take a clip of his and like tag him or whatever. I'm talking just his official YouTube channel. You will see that there is roughly 275 million views. Now, just as a sort of frame of reference, if you were to go to the Dalai Lama's uh, YouTube channel, he has one, by the way, he only has 40 million views. So Jordan Peterson clearly has caught the attention of our society. And uh, you know, I'm not here to baptize everything he's doing. There's good and bad. But the point I'm making here is that clearly people are looking and hungering for wise counsel. They want to know how to live their lives. And Jordan Peterson's more than glad to speak to that. Now, having said all of that, it's worth asking, what does it mean for someone to be a wonderful counselor? You know, it's, it's worth mentioning that the Bible, uh, when it uses the word counselor, it does not mean at all what we have in mind when we think of like therapists or um, mental health counselors, how, however important they are. A counselor in the Bible or in the biblical sense is an advisor to a ruler, typically at the highest levels, who has access to the ruler himself. Uh, the counselor is usually known for having unusual, unusual, unusually good insight. Someone who can look beyond just appearances. Someone with profound discernment, particularly if there's a dire need. And most often, counselors are needed during battle or during war. And here's why this is significant. This mysterious child is called a counselor. That is to say, he will possess a kind of discernment, particularly in battle. God is going to send us a child who will become a man who will be a wonderful counselor. And so what does that tell us about the conditions in which the people of God normally exist? It means that our lives exist under the conditions of war. And I'm not talking about a visible war. I'm talking about an invisible, these invisible realities that could destroy us without us ever even knowing it. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And then he continues in verse 26 of that same chapter. Jesus says, and the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Now in the New Testament, it, they will, the New Testament writers will ultimately call the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. 
This is a wonderful counselor who will equip you to flourish even in the conditions of war. When you need it most, a wise word, the perfect verse, he will strengthen you in this invisible war of temptation and destruction. And what's interesting is that the name is not simply counselor, it's wonderful counselor. Again, back to our, our language specialists, our Hebraists, they would say that that phrase, wonderful counselor, could actually be translated a wonder of a counselor. A wonder of a counselor. Do you know what a wonder is? So like Joshua chapter 3. God told his people to leave the wilderness, enter into the promised land. So imagine you're part of that crew. You're traveling and you get to the banks, the shore of the Jordan River. Now at this point, the Jordan River, it is, it's high. The river is high. It's, it's flood season. It's high running waters. The currents are strong. The water's moving fast. And you need to cross that river on foot. And the water's running you have young children, you have animals, the whole entourage. And you try to get through, you, you wade into the water, you know, maybe you get about thigh high and you realize it's not gonna happen. <laughs> There's no way you can cross this river. And Joshua says, you will wait on the Lord and you will see wonders tomorrow. And sure enough, the next day, God draws the river upstream and they walk through the Jordan River on dry ground. That is a wonder. When those spies go into Jericho, you remember that, they have a conversation with Rahab, and she says, hey, I've heard about the signs and wonders of your God. Back in Egypt, even earlier, God says to Moses, he says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, Pharaoh will let you go. To say that the child will be a wonder of a counselor, he's not just saying that he'll be a fantastic advisor. Rather, this child will become somebody who is so discerning, so wise that he will counsel in a way that seems to come directly from God. And it's shocking and it's even unthinkable. If you will remember King Solomon, Think about this for me, with me for a second. He actually sits on the throne of his father, David. And it was said that no one before him has been as wise as Solomon because God, by his spirit, uniquely gifted him and blessed him. And so there's this really interesting story in the life of uh, Solomon. It's a, where this really important woman travels from like what we would consider like modern day Yemen. And she travels, her name is the Queen of Sheba. So Solomon's wisdom is so incredible. His fame is publicized all over the Middle East. And she hears about King Solomon and wanted to see for herself if these rumors could be true. So she takes a very long trip, very expensive entourage, so that she can sit with Solomon. And so they do. And she fires away every question she could possibly think of. And when she sees the extent of his wisdom and wealth, the Bible says that she had no breath left in her. Let me ask you this. Have you ever done your job so well that your work was so stunning 
that the people in the room couldn't even breathe out of just sheer marvel and disbelief? (laughs) I have no idea what that's like. I'm just trying to keep you guys awake. Solomon was so wise that he knocked the breath out of her. And she is so overwhelmed by his wisdom that she declares that of all that has been said about Solomon, it doesn't even cover half the truth. That's not even half the story. It's such incredible wisdom. And she says how happy it must be for people who get to listen and sit in the room where he's at to just absorb his wisdom. Jesus is not simply called counselor. He is a marvel, a wonder of a counselor. Breathtaking. The wisdom of Jesus is not just insightful, it's breathtaking, life-altering. To see, to listen to Jesus is not just a good idea. That's not even half of it. The words of Jesus are life-transforming. His words can make dead things come alive, like your heart, like your marriage. It's a marvel. (laughs) Wonderful counselor, a wonder of a counselor. Let me quickly conclude. This mysterious child of Isaiah 9 would be called names that are powerful. He's mighty God. He is wonderful counselor. And these names must mean everything to us. This life exists in the middle of a war that we cannot see. There are internal and external threats. And the only way to get through this life is to listen to the words of the incarnate word. Jesus is a conquering God who protects And Jesus has counsel that is words of life as we are just walking through a minefield. When Jesus walked this earth, there were basically three reactions to him. You know, one group resented him and hated him. They just couldn't believe the audacity that he would identify so tightly with God, with Yahweh. And then there's a second group who knew what they had laid eyes on. They would do anything to have him. I mean, they would break into parties just to kiss his feet if for only to steal a moment to hear his sweet words in their ears. And then there's this third group who maybe found Jesus interesting, but the cares and concerns of this world were more compelling than he was. And they would hear his words and Walk away as if nothing were at stake. To this group, he says something really interesting in Matthew chapter 12. Citing the story of the queen of Sheba, he says this. He says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something Greater than Solomon is here. That greater something is Jesus. Solomon could speak in such a way that was so profoundly wise that the queen of Sheba would be left breathless. But Jesus is a superior Solomon. 
There is a kind of wisdom from his word that is so life-changing that instead of taking your breath away, he can breathe into you the breath of life. That's what we're talking about. And if what I am saying is true, then spiritual boredom or spiritual complacency is not an option because life is a war. And you keep your focus when there's bullets flying. Listen, I know that there are beautiful lights on our houses and amazing decorations inside our homes. and You can tell the season is upon us and it's beautiful, but there is a war that rages on. And there's no refuge from Jesus. There's only refuge in him. So keep giving yourself, family, keep giving yourself to the incarnate word as you pour over his written word and treat the word of God as this love letter that contains within it the words of life, for indeed they are. Amen. Amen.